Friend downtown, it's great to see you. Let's stand together today as we join and worship. It's good to be back with you. If you're visiting with us, my name's Mike. I'm the worship pastor here at downtown. We're here to worship the King today. We've been in a series in the book of John, and so we thought we'd start this morning with a call and response reading as an act of worship from John 1. It's real simple. You can see on the screens the text should be there. Let's try this out together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness doesn't extinguish the light. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's worship together today. Full of grace, full of truth, we sing to you, Lord. We have this confidence in Jesus. His blood has brought us into freedom. There is no other that can save us. Cause we know, yes we know, it's Jesus. And He is always with us, faithful and true in our weakness. He your name, Jesus, faithful and true, faithful and true. For every lie that speaks against us, his blood declares we are forgiven. There's only one who never fails us, cause we know, yes we know, it's Jesus, cause we know, yes we know, it's Jesus, and He is always with us, faithful and true, in our weakness, He is bringing us through, yeah, a highway through the valley, a promise through the pain, He is always with us, faithful and Come against the love of Jesus Who would dare stand in His way There is no power that can hold back Jesus He's here to save He's here to save Let's try that together What could come against the love of Jesus Way. There is no power that can hold that. 
That's who you are. We bless your name, Lord. We thank you that that's truth that we just sang straight from Revelation, that when you come again, we will call you faithful and true because every promise you've made will be fulfilled. Every word you've spoken will be fulfilled. And so right here, right now, we say you are faithful. Right here, right now, we say you are true. Even in the waiting, we believe it. God from God, light from light. We believe in one Jesus Christ Breaking through the darkest of nights To say you alone can save Hope of hope, strength of strength All our sin is dead in the grave only one has power enough to save You alone can save You alone can save Let's sing this together And where there is no way you make your way Where no one else can reach us you find us where there is no way you make your way where no one else can reach us you find us and hope of hope strength of strength we say it together all our sin is dead in the grave thank you lord and only one has power enough to say Who oh, you alone can save You alone can save We cry it out Where there is no way you make your way We believe Where no one else can reach us you find us where there is no way you make your way where no one else can reach us you find us where there is no way you make your way where no one else can reach us you find us where
after those who are hurting. And so we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Holy is your name, the highest God, the highest King. Can we sing together, Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus, it's always been you.
your presence. Can we sing this together with our hearts? And oh, Jesus, and oh, Jesus, your presence is heaven to me. And oh, Jesus, and oh, Jesus, your presence is heaven. Let's take time to bless his name now from your own hearts. Better is one day in your course, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. It's your presence that we hunger for, that we thirst for. In a dry and weary land, God, we seek after you. Mm, yeah. Who have I in heaven but you, but you, but you? Your presence is heaven to me. And oh, Jesus, old song together. And I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. For that is what I long That is 
It is a beautiful truth, and we come together today to worship and declare it, that whatever it is in our lives, our God is greater. Whatever we're waiting for, whatever we're hoping for, whatever we're needing, our God is greater, and he is stronger, and he is mighty, and he is with us. And I want to take that declaration and also make it an invitation in prayer right now. If there's something in your life that you're just having that moment where you're going, I just, I need God to come into this space. I need that God who is greater to come and show himself in this space. Would you just open up your hands with me? We're just gonna, we're gonna take our song of declaration and turn into a prayer of invitation saying, come Lord Jesus. So Father God, over this congregation right now, I pray a blessing that the God who is greater, that the God who is stronger, that the God who is mighty would have your way now in our lives, would have effect and your power poured out to us. As you declare through your apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Would you impart freedom today into places that feel trapped, that feel stuffy, that feel stuck, that feel like there's not enough provision, that feel like I don't know what to do and I'm lacking wisdom. God, we open up a door, we open up a window right now in prayer and we just say, Holy Spirit, come on in. Because we need you. We need you to come in. We need you to affect us. We need your power. We need your grace. We need your light. We need your lightness. We need your, we need your spirit. We need your freedom, God. Where we're feeling like we're having to control everything, God, we just need you to come in and, and just we surrender and say, God, you're the God in control. Would you come and have your way? Where we're feeling brokenness after brokenness or sickness after sickness, we just pray, God, come on in. Would you heal us? Would you heal this land? Would you pour out your spirit? And would you heal our bodies? And would you heal our relationships? Would you heal our society's brokenness? Would you come, God? We can't do it, but you're the greater God and we need you. And our declaration becomes invitation. God, would you come? And where there are pains, would you heal them? Where there is brokenness, pray and have your way. We need you. And I bless you all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can we just, just I don't know, tell God, thank you that he is with us right now. Just in a little whisper, a little word, God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you. He is good and he is great. Amen. Amen. All this, all the time, God is good. Come on. Well, I get to send off the middle school now because they have worshiped with us and now they get to go and study the word and connect together. So bless you and keep you, oh, middle schoolers. And if you're in middle school and don't know what's going on, you can just try to trail them out and find out and it'll be great. That's Pastor Brock right there in the front. Ah, yes. Um, if you are newer, newer, my name is Pastor Evan. It is so good to have you worshiping with us. We'd love to meet you. Right after service in the lobby, there's a welcome area. Uh, there's a team that'll be there. We'll answer any questions that you have. And if we could get your personal contact info, either on a card or one of these QR codes, we'd love just to follow up with you. Uh, and I also want to just let you know, um, we're in that awkward moment of right now, can you take your seats? Yes, you may sit down. Okay, ready to go. Uh, we get to turn our attention now to the word. And in the midst of receiving the word, we recognize that everything we have is given by God.
So we also recognize uh, a moment of worship is giving back ourselves and what a portion of what he's given us in our offerings. So there's four ways to give here at New Life Downtown. You can, if you're in the room with us, there's boxes in the back. Um, you can do it online or via the app. And if you do that, just mark New Life Downtown as the congregation you're giving towards. Uh, or you can mail it in uh, old school style. So that is our way of giving ourselves in worship. And now we posture our hearts to receive the word. Oh, there's the table of it. So would you just, again, just open up your hands and take a breath as though what you're about to receive is the very word of God spoken through the ages speaking again today. So we say, speak Holy Spirit to us today. Hello, my name is Jay. The Old Testament reading is found in Amos 9, 13 to 15. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who gathers, when the one who crushes grapes will overtake the one who sows the seed. The mountains will drip wine, and all the hills will flow with it. I will improve the circumstances of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land. And they will never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Dan. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 6.16-7.1. through 7, 1. What agreement can there be between God's temple and idols? Because we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will live with them and I will move among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. My dear friends, since we have these promises, let's cleanse ourselves from anything that contaminates our body or spirits so that we make our holiness complete in the fear of God. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh, fall anew. 
on us. Spirit of the living God, come and melt us in the places where our hearts have grown hard, where our love has grown cold, where our resistance to you or to others may be great. Would you melt us? And then would you mold us? Would you shape us? Transform us into your image and your likeness that we may bear your image in the way that you intended us to. Would you fill us with your spirit for the sake of us and for the sake of others? And would you employ us to your service? Would you teach us and show us how to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God everywhere that we go? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. My name is Jason. If you're visiting here, as Pastor Evan said earlier, thank you for being here. We're so glad uh, that you're here this morning. If there's any way that we can help you uh, get connected, please let us know. Uh, and for those of you who knew Life Downtown is your home, I once again remind you that you are the extension of the welcome team. So after service, if there's somebody that you don't know, please introduce yourself to them and help them get connected uh, in this family of believers. And if you're watching online, we welcome you. Uh, we're so glad you're here. We anticipate that you are warmer there than we are here. Uh, as a, maybe you saw on Instagram, the boiler that heats this room went out. Uh, we're pretty sure it went out last week. As those of you who are here, uh, we were gathered under as many parkas as we possibly could uh, during worship. It's actually a little bit better this week uh, than we thought it would be. They got the boiler working again. It's just not working 100%. But it's a good reminder of a couple things. Number one, it'll be a good reminder in the summer when we are sweating and waving our hand fans that, oh, cold will come again, uh, and we'll have moments where we'll be cold in this room. Other moments we're hot, and then a handful of days where it's just right, um, you know, sort of like we get to that last bowl of porridge, and be like, yeah, that one, uh, that one's really nice for us. Uh, it's also a good reminder that we do have a building fund, so if you are... Uh, <laughs> are <laughs> Just go online, NLD Facility Fund. You can give over and beyond there or just pray uh, that permanent space uh, would open for us here in the center of our city. Last week, we began a new series uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John is one of the four ancient biographies about Jesus that open the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. Last week we began looking at John chapter 1 where John takes time in this poetic and beautiful way to establish Jesus' identity and his vocation. For John he says Jesus is the God who has come in the flesh. Jesus is God and he's come to be with us. Jesus is the one who is fully human and fully divine. And he's come in continuity and in culmination of all that God has been doing from the beginning. That all God had set out to do in creation and his, his redemptive work in and through Israel, he's now come to continue and bring to its completion in Jesus. As chapter 1 continues, Jesus is then introduced to the world by his cousin John the Baptist who says, Look, or beholds, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the worlds. This is where the sermon series title comes from. The whole series is called Behold, because John's gospel puts before us the invitation to look at Jesus and to consider who he is. To take another look, to gaze, to glance, to turn our attention to this one, to Jesus, and to consider who he is and what he says and what he does. As the first chapter goes on, Jesus starts calling disciples or students to follow him, to learn how to walk in the good and beautiful way of God. And then John's next few chapters uh, present us with a couple of things. One is a series of intimate conversations that Jesus has with individuals. We'll see that particularly the next couple of weeks as uh, John is having a conversation, or Jesus is having a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus, and later with a woman at a well. But also through these chapters, Jesus is performing a series of miracles or a, a miraculous acts that John calls signs. The other gospels use different words to describe what Jesus is doing. But John particularly uses the word sign because he wants us to consider what Jesus has done, how it points beyond that to the very claim that Jesus makes about who he is. To see these acts and then to consider who Jesus is. And throughout John's narrative, excuse me, what we see happen is his tension starts to build. As Jesus is making these proclamations, as he's having conversations, and as he's doing these miraculous signs, there's a tension that builds around the question of how will people respond to this Jesus? What will we do with him? Will those who are hearing Jesus and conversing with him and seeing what he's doing, will they believe in him? And then correspondingly for readers of the gospel, for you and me, will we? Will we believe in Jesus? And for John, belief is not just a mental exercise. It's not just an acceptance of some facts like, oh yeah, he was this guy that lived in the first century and he taught some great things and he died really tragically. The sense for John of belief is, will we continue to entrust ourselves fully and completely to him? To believe all that he has done, to believe all that he says that he is, and to entrust ourselves completely to him so as to be his students in life and to trust him with our salvation. Then we get to chapter two, which is where we're going to be today, and we get two really, really well-known stories about Jesus that happen back-to-back to one another and leave us a little bit whiplashed, pun intended, The first one is this, Jesus shows up at a party where they've run out of wine and he turns water into wine. We're like, whoa, who's this guy? And in the very next chapter, Jesus goes into the temple and he makes a whip and starts driving people out of the temple. And we're like, whoa, who's this guy? (laughs) And depending upon your upbringing, you may be more comfortable with one of those stories than the other. If you grew up in a fundamentalist background, then that first story might be really disturbing to you about Jesus turning water into wine. And if you grew up outside of the church, then it's probably the second story that's the most concerning to us. But what John presents for us is that this is the same Jesus. This is not two different people. This is not Jesus on a good day and Jesus on a bad day. This is Jesus being presented to us as the one who is both full of mercy And who's full of justice. The God who's full of goodness that meets us in our need. And the God who's full of holiness who has come to judge. And the gospel invites us 
to accept, to receive, to believe, to behold in Jesus as he is, not Jesus as we want him to be. Not choosing one or the other, but receiving Jesus fully as who he is. We're going to dive into John chapter 2, and it says this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mom was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine, son. And Jesus replied, woman, what does that have to do with me? Like, why, why, why are you bringing this up to me at this point in time? My time hasn't come yet. And his mom just ignores him at that, at that point in time. Doesn't respond to Jesus' question. Instead, she looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> and then, presumably, she just walks away and goes back to the party. So here's the setting. Jesus and his family and his disciples and the wedding party are at this sizable celebration for a wedding. It's probably the entire village has been invited. If you grew up in a small town, then you know what this is like. If someone's getting married, then everybody's showing up. For us, it was at the Duncan Hall, a couple towns away, where everyone would show up after the wedding for the celebration. As they're there and celebrating, the wine runs out. In this culture, in this context, this is a social faux pas for the wedding party for the family that's hosting all of their friends and extended family who are hosting the entire village. This is embarrassing. This is a crisis. This is an emergency that is developing for them. And yet it's introduced by John rather matter-of-factly or even simply he normalizes it. You're just reading it along. It's like, hey, they're all there and there's a party and the wine ran, ran out. Like, oh, this just sort of happens. Wine runs out. He doesn't say, behold, or oh my goodness, or can you believe it? He just says, and the wine ran out. These things happen. The unexpected, the disappointing, the grievous, they happen in life. We live in a world where wine gives out. This is the kind of world that we live in. We live in a world where our plans fail, where loss occurs, where we end up empty-handed, or simply we end up empty. We don't feel like we have anything left in the tank or anything left to give. We're out of energy. We're out of ideas. We're out of options. We're stuck. And oftentimes in those places, everybody else knows it. And we're terrified. What do we do when the wine gives out? What do we do when life happens this way? What do we do? I know what I do. I panic, but I don't want anyone to see it. I panic internally. All of my anxiety, all of my we uh, fears, all of my worries are just going off like alarm bells inside of my soul where I can't even seem to turn them down. And I wonder what's going to be the impact on this person, on this person, on this person, on this person, on this person. And there's a resounding sense of guilt or shame. You should have seen this coming. You could have done something about this. Why did you let 
this fail? Don't you know what this is going to mean? And so in that panic, I get quiet and I just try to push through. I think if I just put my head down and try harder, then maybe everything will work out. Or in some cases, I get desperate and throw a Hail Mary, hoping that maybe somehow someone will be down the field to catch the pass. Maybe this will work. But most of the time, I just feel stupefied. Like someone just hit me and I'm now immobile on the ground. Can imagine how the wedding party's feeling, how the servants are feeling, how everyone's feeling as they realize this. And then there's Mary. She just comes over and says, hey, son, we've got a problem. (laughs) And then she says to the servants this simple line, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What, what do we do in this moment, Mary? What, what do we do when we find ourselves in this place? Do whatever he tells you. Nearby, there were six stone jars used for a Jewish cleansing ritual and each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, imagine that, 20 to 30 gallons. These are huge jars. And Jesus says to the servants this, he says, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some water and take it to the head waiter. And they did that. And then the head waiter tasted that the water had become wine and he didn't know where it came from. Though the servants who drew the water, they certainly knew. Jesus told them to fill and they filled. He told them to draw water and they drew water. He told them to take the water to the waiter, and they took it to the head waiter. Jesus in this story doesn't tell them to do something they've never done. He doesn't tell them to do something impossible. He doesn't tell them to do something beyond their skill set or beyond their imagination or beyond their abilities. He tells them to do simple, ordinary, everyday things, and he tells them to do it in faith trusting that somehow following Jesus, doing what he says is going to make a difference in this moment of crisis. And so they did simple, ordinary, everyday things in trust. And then Jesus did something remarkable. Jesus did something special. Jesus took their ordinary and did something extraordinary. He turned water into wine. He didn't turn it into something they didn't need. He didn't turn it into, you know, Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper with light ice and a hint of lime in it. That's what I would have asked for. He didn't turn it into something abnormal. It's really good wine. The head waiter's like, you saved the best for last. But he still turned it into wine. Turned it into something almost ordinary as well. Have you ever noticed how when Jesus does miracles that most of the time what he's doing is he's restoring, restoring things to the ordinary? He's restoring things to how they're meant to be. Like when he heals people who can't see, he gives them eyes that can see. He doesn't give them x-ray vision. He doesn't make them superhuman in some way. He just restores us to ordinary human life and community that we can go about our days with him and with others. But it's also, though, that when he does these things, there is a a remarkableness to that. There is a a awe and a wonder, and there's an abundance. This isn't just a little bit of wine. He doesn't turn it into a glass or a bottle 
but 120 to 160 gallons of wine. That's 600 to 800 bottles of wine that Jesus just made in about 30 seconds. But for the scriptures, there's something else going on underneath there because in the scriptures, wine is always symbolic. Wine is symbolic of joy. Wine is symbolic of peace. Wine is symbolic of peace and prosperity. Wine is symbolic of life. And the abundance of wine is symbolic of salvation, of the kingdom of God, of new creation, of the world to come, of Amos's image in our Old Testament reading of the mountains dripping with wine and the hills flowing with it. See, the first sign that Jesus does in Galilee is, is it, he turns water into wine and it points to us to who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. That Jesus is the creator who's come to bring about new creation. Jesus is the savior who's come about to save. Jesus is the one who's come to restore and renew all things from within. And it points to the kind of work that Jesus still does and the way that he still does it. Because when the wine gives out in our lives, when we fail, when we're in need, when we're facing disaster and disgrace, when we don't know what to do and we don't know where to turn, Jesus meets us where we are. And he so graciously works with what we have. And he asks us to practice ordinary obedience to do simple things, not superhuman things, not things that we are beyond our ability or beyond our imagination or that we have no idea how to even come alongside and partner with what God's doing, but to do simple things in faith and to trust that as we do simple things in faith, that Jesus is still the one who can transform the ordinary. He can transform our ordinary everyday lives into something more. That he can change us and that he can change the situations that we find ourselves. And I want to just stop here for a moment today and invite us to close our eyes. And I just want to invite the spirit of God to come and meet us in this moment. And maybe this describes you today. That if you're thinking about your life, the metaphor of the wine giving out is a good metaphor. The emergency, the crisis, the panic, the fear, the anxiety, the confusion, the what am I to do? You feel like you've reached the end. You're out of hope, out of options, and unsure what to do. I just want to invite us in this moment to lift that situation before Jesus in prayer and to ask him, Jesus, what would you like me to do? And Jesus, would you show us how you can take the ordinary, everyday, simple, mundane, foolish, boring, <laughs> unremarkable parts of our lives and transform them into something good and beautiful, 
and full and abundant. Would you teach us simple obedience in faith? Would you help us to be the kind of people that do whatever you tell us and trust that you can still transform the ordinary? Transform our ordinary lives, our ordinary offerings, our ordinary acts of faith, Jesus. Meet us, O God of mercy. In the second story, right after this story happens, we get the next story. It's a little bit while later, and it's nearly the time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. He's going from Galilee up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple, in the place of worship, those who were selling cattle and sheep and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currencies sitting there, so swapping out different bills. And he made a whip from ropes and chased them out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. We're not sure what happened to the doves at this point in time, but definitely the cattle and the sheep are gone. And then he scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged the currency. And he said to the dove sellers, get these out of here. There's the doves right there. He's taking them. Get out of here. Do not make my father's house a place of business. And then his disciples remembered what was written in the Psalms. Passion for your house consumes me. This is the first of three Passover feasts that Jesus will attend in John's gospel. The Passover is an annual celebration of Israel's liberation from Egypt. And the story occurs, this story of him cleansing the temple occurs at the end of the other three gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all place this story at the end, right before Jesus's uh, final week and his death and his resurrection. But here John places it at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so a lot of times biblical scholars will spend a lot of time trying to reconcile well, why was it at the beginning here and you know at the end there and lots of people will just suggest well the only way to make sense of it is for it to happen twice but really it just opens up fascinating conversations about the differences between ancient writing and modern writing uh, that the gospels are theological accounts of Jesus's uh, life and ministry and so the focus here really isn't on the timing and trying to figure all of that out maybe it was once maybe it was twice but what we know is it happened in the temple It happened right there in the place that's supposed to be the place of presence, the place where heaven and earth are supposed to meet, the place that God is meant to dwell with and among his people. And at this point, Jesus walks in and what he finds is what God found at several points throughout Israel's history, that this place, this holy place has become corrupted That what this was meant to be is not what's happening. Here it's exploitive economic practices that are now connected to worship. And the place of the temple has become a marketplace. So we not only live in a world where wine gives out, but we live in a world where holy things become corrupted. Where holy things can become unholy. We know this often way too painfully. The theology can be distorted the spirituality can be manipulated and abused, that church can hurt, that leaders can disappoint and leaders can be disappointed. We can misread the Bible. 
We can be misled in the ways that we think about faith and following Jesus. Faith can be contaminated. Faith can even be commandeered and associated with ends that have nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom. We see it all around us. Jesus walks into the temple and he sees a similar scene and fulfillment of Jeremiah and Zechariah and Malachi and their prophecies. Jesus, the Messiah, comes in to cleanse, to purify the temple, and he makes a whip, not wine this time, a whip, and he starts driving out the merchants and their merchandise, clearing out the place and upending tables. This is a little bit different than the buddy Jesus, like bobblehead dashboard doll that you might see in some cars. This infuriates the religious leaders. And you can imagine, what is this guy doing? Who does he think he is? The Jewish leaders asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jewish leaders replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. They're referring to Herod the Great, the second temple. It's 46 years, and it's still a little bit under construction. And you're going to do it all in three days? The temple that Jesus was talking about was his body talking about something entirely different. See, not only does Jesus come and cleanse the temple, he claims that he is the temple. That he is the one in whom heaven and earth meet. That he is God's presence embodied. And that the temple that they're gathering at is merely a temporary sign that is meant to point to him. That's meant to point to him. See, holy things are only helpful in as much as they point us to Jesus. If they begin to point us to something other than Jesus, then that holy thing has become corrupted. If they fail to point beyond themselves to the one who is and who was and is to come, then something's gone wrong. If they fail to connect us to Jesus, the holy one, then they are no longer holy things. And yet the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can cleanse the unholy. The good news is that Jesus comes in not just simply to get rid of it, but to cleanse it. And Jesus' primary concern is not just holy places, but a holy people. He's come to cleanse and to purify us. God wants to make us like himself. He wants to dwell in us. He wants us to be connected to his life. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. So you remember when we became followers of Jesus, we too were filled with the Spirit. And therefore we became temples. People in whom the presence of God dwells. People in whom heaven and earth meets. And according to Paul, as we read in our New Testament reading, because we are the temple, we're called to cleanse ourselves. Individually and collectively. In other places, the New Testament says that Christ comes to cleanse, that Christ comes to purify. So which is it? Are we supposed to cleanse and purify ourselves, or does Christ cleanse and purify us? Yes! This is often as we find in the New Testament. It's primarily God's work, but he wants us to be involved He invites us into the process. And part of our participation in God's sanctification of us is welcoming his confrontation. Welcoming his judgment. Welcoming his work of cleansing and purifying. 
the disciples saw what happened and said that Jesus is surely zealous or passionate for that place. But the scriptures revealed to us even, revealed to us even more is that God is zealous. He's passionate for his people. He wants us to live holy and free lives. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to experience abundance. And in order to do that, he's going to have to drive some things out of us and overturn some things so that he can set them right again. So as we did before, I want to stop for just a moment because I know that this can be rather uncomfortable for us. We prefer the Jesus who turns water into wine than the Jesus that confronts and drives things out. And as I said at the very beginning, what we're called to behold is the Jesus who is not the Jesus that we want him to be. And we're called to be people who welcome both the mercy of God in our need and the cleansing and purification of God when we so desperately need that in our souls as well. So I want us to take just a moment and bow our heads once again and invite the Spirit of God here and say, Jesus, if there are things in our lives that you need to cleanse, that you need to purify, things that you want to drive out that we might experience more of your fullness, things that you want to overturn that we might be turned back to you and experience your forgiveness and your mercy and grace, would you teach us to be the kind of people who welcome not only your mercy, but welcome your judgment as well? And who know that the God that loves us wants to set us free. So would you cleanse us? Would you purify us? And would you teach us how to participate in that process as well? If there are things that you're wanting to drive out, show us the simple things that we can do to partner with you. Maybe that's confessing something that we're hiding and keeping in the dark. Sharing with trusted people what's really going on. Maybe it's going to celebrate recovery to find freedom from hurt or habit or hang up. Maybe it's seeking counseling. Maybe it's releasing unforgiveness. Maybe it's adding accountability software to our devices. Maybe it's a way of thinking or believing or being that you just know isn't best for us. Maybe it's a feeling of hate that we have toward others. That we hate our enemies rather than love them. Maybe it's gossip or division. Maybe there's a crudeness in us, an obstinate resistance to you or to others that keeps us out of relationship. Spirit of the living God, would you come and meet us and help us in this moment? I want to invite Blake and the band to come to lead us to the table this morning.
the table is one of those moments that we can see as a sign where Jesus takes simple bread and simple wine and says that there's so much more in his hands. They point behind, beyond himself, beyond, or beyond themselves, beyond bread and wine to himself, to the God who has come to give his life for us. So as we come to the table today, may we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May we receive from his abundance all that he has for us. May he forgive us. And may he cleanse us. May he set us free. Hmm. Friends, this is Jesus' table. The one who both extended the party and the one who came to cleanse has set this very same table. And we're all invited to come and meet him here today. Regardless of your church affiliation or your background, if you have said, I'm following Christ, we invite you to come to this table with us. And if that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming and for being here today. We're glad and honored that you're here, and we encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions, keep walking with those in your life who are also following Jesus, to stay curious about what he might be doing in your life. But if you're ready, to begin following Jesus today, we invite you to join us as we all confess our sin before him, asking him for forgiveness and trusting in him for salvation. This prayer will be on the screens. Let's pray it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. So friends, it's my joy to get to announce to you this good news. Words that are true, not just because we say them every week we come to this table, but because of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. So would you open your hands and receive again the mercy of God? That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. So as those who have been raised to new life with Christ Jesus, please stand and greet those around you in this peace. Offer that peace to one another. Friends, let's proclaim this together, that Jesus is here. His Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. Let's do that together. Let's thank Him and praise Him in this moment. Our own words.
our own shouts. Lord, it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. And when we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And we remember that. We see that in this story. But on the night he was to be handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we proclaim this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. As we come to the table, would you stretch your hands out toward these elements or open them to welcome the Holy Spirit into this space? Father, pour out your Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Jesus that we may be for the world, the body of Jesus, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. Amen. I'll invite the servers up at this time. And if this is your first time taking communion with us, we welcome you here. You can simply follow along with those around you, or if you need to know some more details about what's going on, you can scan the QR code on the screens. If you're in the balcony, we invite you to join us on this right section, or there are some prepackaged elements welcome for you as well. And if you're unable to come forward, please ask someone next to you to bring the elements back to you. Uh, We're here to serve one another and to walk together to this table. And we're here to keep worshiping Christ together. So let's worship as we come here to the table today.
isn't bound by circumstance He's the God of second chance How could you see? And when a sinner's heart is all that I can bring Still He welcomes me
Amen. It is good to close the service praising the Lord that way every time. It always hits home. <laughs> well, today, if the Lord has moved in any way for you, we want to make sure you know there are prayer teams available at the front. The same teams that just served you communion are here ready to pray with you. Whatever God is stirring in you, please come and join them in prayer. Uh, we want to make sure you're aware that this Wednesday we're having a congregation night meeting at 6.30 p.m. at New Life Midtown. We'd love to see you there, some light refreshments to follow, and just a chance to hear where we are as a church and where God might be taking us in the next year. Well, with that, open your hands and receive this blessing to go into this week changed and transformed by this merciful and just God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his bright, smiling face towards you and bring you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord this week. Amen.